Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Hey, this is Edwin Atwater, conductor of SM2, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Melopy Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is episode 147. We're diving back into A Year in the Life of Metallica, and this is the new millennium, 2000. Right. In the year 2000. In the year 2000. I miss that. I remember I was a Conan fan. Conan, the Conan O'Brien fan club is the first fan club I ever joined oh, on wow. the internet. I didn't know that. I did it from a friend's computer, I think in like uh, maybe 97. Yeah. And uh, I was maybe 12 or 13. Right. I just loved his weird late night shit. Mm-hmm. And I love—I mean, I've watched the year 2000 bit for years before. Right. Do you remember after the year 2000 hit, they kept doing oh, it? Oh, yeah. In, up until like 03, 04, yeah. it was pretty good. Yeah, with uh, La Bamba. La Bamba was always the dude in he the band He was the voice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he would still talk about things that happened in the year 2000. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. Well, here we are for Metallica in the year 2000. Our last episode, I believe, was with Wes, but the one before that, the proper episode we did on our timeline was 99. Correct, yeah. So uh, this was a pretty controversial year for the band. We're going to, and here's what I would like to do, and you, haven't, you and I haven't really planned this out okay. yet, but I'd like to tackle the year 2000, and then I'd like to do the next two episodes on a whole episode on Napster, yep. and which I would ideally like to do with our friend Moak to get his insight on the implications of Napster. Right, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, God, I mean, where the music industry is now, I mean, someone like Paul has been in the game so long. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd love to hear his insight on the record industry. And, and, and he's also a bit more optimistic than me. So, mm-hmm. you know, him and I have had a lot of conversations where he's really challenged me to think about it a little differently. Right. And get me out of my grumpy sauce. <laughs> there's some, and there's some parts of that that I, I he, I'm not convinced of. But I do want to just get his perspective in terms of explaining what happened with the Napster debacle. Um, I've been reading a lot about it. Uh, I of course have always on this podcast sided with Lars. I right. think he was way ahead of his time in anticipating what the problems were with copyright law and shit needing to be rearranged mm-hmm. to anticipate what would happen with with MP3s and streaming. Right. A lot of confusion about did Metallica sue their fans, which no, they didn't, et cetera. Yeah, you know, yeah. they wanted to have Napster shut down. No, he, he he totally got shit on during that whole era, and and I, I I can't remember specifically, but I mean, I probably was at one point going, man, that's fucked up, because I probably got some misinformation about the mm-hmm. actual situation, and then when I started noticing it affecting my job years later in record sales for my bands and stuff, then. I think that kind of caused me to do more research and really look at it from afar and be like, oh, wow, okay, he was ahead of his time. And he even says that. He, you know, he talks about the, the most frustrating thing about the whole debacle is that 
summing up his position, you couldn't do it in a soundbite. Mm-hmm. So he would do a, a two-hour interview with Rolling Stone, but they would just crush all that down to a, right. a soundbite that would be out of context. Uh, and then the headline, of course, Metallica sues fans. Right, yeah. Clip-based and it's like, stuff. no, we delivered 300,000 names to Napster because they thought we couldn't, and we wanted their accounts suspended, and then 10% of those people disputed their suspension, and in order to keep the suspension... Uh, valid Metallica would have had to have sued those 30,000 pe- 30, mm-hmm, people, right. but they didn't. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You start throwing in all these numbers, and then what's the juicy headline? Metallica sues fans. Yeah, exactly. People, uh, you know, Metallica fans get together and have big burning parties, crushing all their CDs and records. So dumb. And it's so dumb. So we're going to, I would like for the next episode to be a super deep dive into the Napster that controversy. That would be awesome. So yeah. when we, and, and, but it all went down in 2000. Mm-hmm. So as we reference some of these events today, because if, you, if you're not familiar with this episode, we do A Year in a Life of Metallica, we just talk about everything in excruciating detail that happened in the life of the band. Right. And what's going to be really cool, and this is all said and done, is if you're jonesing for a, a, a yearly deep dive history of the band, we have done every single year this way. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the time we get caught up to present year, uh, I mean, we'll have a Metallica Britannic encyclopedia per year just for you. Right. I mean, it's as you. That will be for sale on the Home Shopping Network. I'm yeah, told. you can get a Home Shopping Network for sure. It's going to be $199.99. Uh, you can do it in five easy payments if you want. If you're joining us for the first time, we are an all-Metallica podcast. Ethan and I are two professional musicians uh, who make time every week to talk about our favorite metal band. We're just buddies who we sort of, the the genesis of our friendship was talking about Metallica. Mm-hmm. Correct. So we thought it'd be fun to start a show. At the time, there were no other Metallica podcasts, I That's believe. Right. So That's right. now there are a whole bunch of them. But it was like 85. We figured we wanted to have this conversation and make it available to you. And a lot of cool shit's happened since we started the show. A lot of cool fans and we're going to hear from yeah, some yeah. listeners a little bit during the housekeeping. Shall we recap last night's events for the good people? We're a day late. Yeah, we're a little bit day late. And uh, so we we got asked to, in some way, be a part of this Metallica night slash art show at the, this bar called The Crying Wolf here in Nashville. Um, a friend of mine who I've known since the 90s uh, is a great painter. She painted this awesome portrait of James, which might be on display at our party in, in case someone wants to purchase it. And let's, what's her name again? She was at our party last yeah, year. Yeah, Jessica Fife. Right, really cool chick. Yeah, Jess, Jess is awesome, man. We've been friends for 23 years or something at this point. Um, but it was a fun night. You know, there was a, a, a Metallica cover band called Fade to Blacken that played. They were super tied. I, I couldn't, you had to leave pretty early. I, I didn't stay super long when they played, but I watched a few songs, put a few on our Instagram stories, and uh, yeah, they sounded great. They were tight, super nice dudes. It was fun. So we did a, we did a, they, our, you know, our role there was to do trivia and kind of just introduce people to the show who may not have heard mm-hmm. it. Several people did come out who are listeners of the show. Uh, Clark came out. Mm-hmm. Jer- uh, a, a new listener that we just met named Jeremy, Jeremy came yeah. out who ended up doing the trivia and won. He was the grand prize winner. The grand prize being the VHS OG Binge and Purge box set, yeah. which he, by the way, donated back to the show. He did. He already had it. Um, because he'd already had it. And what a sweetie pie. So congrats sweetie. to him. It was good to meet him. To I think some of the Fade to Black and Boys listened to the show. So Yep, they absolutely do. It was cool. It was fun. And Ethan and I talked maybe about seeing, having them maybe play our party or play a portion of our party. Yeah, we'll and see. There's all sorts of fun stuff and, around and that. And speaking of that, I mean, uh, it's kind of in concrete, but uh, we're waiting on Clint's schedule for January, but we're tentatively looking at January 12th. January 12th, people. For our third annual Metal Pure Podcast anniversary party. Now, there won't be, it won't have the same fanfare as last year because Metallica is not going to be in town that we know of. That we know of. But it is going to be a fucking awesome time, and and we do have friends who are traveling for it. Even someone like Anya is asking what the dates are because she's considering traveling. Wow. She lives in the UK. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so mark your calendars for now. If If it changes, we'll obviously update you, but January 12th is the uh, 
most likely, but and we'll, slightly tentative. We'll update as we all go along and see what happens. But mm-hmm. January 12th is a Sunday. It's a Sunday, yeah. Jan- uh, January is usually pretty slow for my world, so it's looking pretty good. Yeah. Uh, a couple of housekeeping items before we dive into 2000. Kirk and Rob performed a Metallica medley at the Play It Loud exhibit launch in Cleveland, Ohio. Other musicians there were Don Felder and Nancy Wilson. Hubba hubba. I've always had a crush on Nancy <laughs> Wilson. And I, and on Ann Wilson also, man. I just love that you said hubba hubba. That's how I went old school. <clears throat> That's what my grandpa used to always say. Yeah. It was a little creepier. Though, Can you he... say hubba hubba in two ni- 2019 without going to uh, um, uh, Me Too jail? I don't know. I'm not sure, because to me, hubba hubba sounds so silly and not, doesn't sound creepy to me anymore. Right. Um, I don't know, when I look across the room at Clint at HQ2, I think hubba hubba. Well, I mean, I, you know, it leads to a bigger question and a bigger conversation than we don't really necessarily have to have, but, you know, I'm married happily, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm out of that game, I'm out of the old mating game, for now, (laughs) yes, Uh, (laughs) um, but, you know. I feel bad for guys now because how are they supposed to how are they supposed to get the conversation started? Right. Obviously hubba hubba is not the way to That's do it. That's probably not the way to start the but, conversation. But what what does hubba hubba represent? Hubba hubba represents you telling a female, "Hey, I I I like you. I think you're I think attractive. You're pretty. Yeah. I think you're pretty." Uh, you know, the the like not all of that is some evil, creepy shit. Some of that's just like mating game, and yeah. you have to let someone know that you're interested. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I think maybe it's a lot like, you know, swear words. Like, it's in the context you use them in, they can come across as much more harsh. Right. So, you know, catcalling, if you, and you used hubba hubba, you know, if you're some dude across the street, some girl on the corner, like, that might be inappropriate. Mm-hmm. But if you think, if in a, maybe in a fun kind of playful way, like oh, hubba hubba, I don't know. I, I've never actually used the, the term hubba hubba on a female, <laughs> so I guess I'm just talking out of my ass here. But I just think it's hard for dudes out there to know, like the good dudes. It's I think for some of them, it's like how do I navigate this new world, right, without um, being offensive or creepy. And women have had to put up with so much horrible shit mm-hmm. for most of the existence of females that right. I, I get it. You know, there's a pendulum swinging, but. I'm just glad I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, agreed. Because I might be a guy that says hubba hubba. I might be a hubba hubba guy. <laughs> I might just start saying it to my wife. See, think... yeah, you know what? We should just test it out on our wives. That's, yeah, that's the litmus test right there. Okay, well, anyway, I've always like you know been attracted to Nancy Wilson. She was always that bad at you know her and Ann Wilson both just the bad. It, go watch um, a 1977 American Bandstand performance of them doing like Barracuda, Magic Dude. Man crazy on you they were untouchable in the 70s a great band i mean they're so good i got to see them not too long ago because brandy right, carlo was opening uh, two shows they were great live still i don't think don felder or nancy wilson performed but i, I don't know if you watched this but kirk and rob played like a medley just then mm-hmm. yep yeah I saw, I saw, uh yeah, pretty saw weird yeah it's a little weird it's like the doodle it's kind of like the doodles but they're metallica songs dude what strikes me is how Pluckety and plunky Rob's fingers are. Mm-hmm. His bass sounds like drums almost. Yeah, he's a, so he's clicky, a heavy hitter on his you know right, I mean? right hand. I'm just surprised that they didn't call me and you to go up there and like play drums and rhythm guitar just to you know for context. I'm glad you said that because I also was completely shocked that we did not receive an invitation that's, from, from at least Q Prime. That's the real reason we didn't drop an episode uh, last night at midnight. We were waiting around for that call from Q Prime to go up to Cleveland, Ohio, and it just didn't happen. I do have a clip of Kirk and Robert talking a little bit about the guitars they donated, which I thought was pretty cool. So yeah. we're going we're gonna to dip into that real quick. Tell us about your contribution to the Play It Loud exhibit. Well, uh, I gave him one of my guitars, and man, I haven't seen that guitar in a while. When I saw it, I was like, man, that's such a cool guitar. I miss that guitar. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, uh, it's great because um, 
the guitar that uh, that I gave them was w like maybe my third or, or or fourth guitar I'd ever gotten from ESP. I think and it's that Spider it Les Paul. Oh, really? Guitars that I actually uh, uh, had a hand in designing myself, and uh, it it kind of started a tradition of, of me designing my uh, the graphics uh, for my guitars that I still do to, do to this day, and it's just great to see see it here. Not only because Robert's wearing know, a shirt it's, that it's says "Garage." A cool Garage. guitar <laughs> in my book, but it, it is a, a great sounding instrument as well, and uh, I used it quite a bit. I, I I, I recorded a, 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 a guitar solo uh, of, for the Black Album sessions using that guitar, and I also took it on tour, on the Black Album tour as well as the Load and Reload tour. Wow! So yeah. I, it went on the road for like a good five or six years, and just got sweated all over and bashed yummy and, swat, you know, blooded and everything. blooded. <laughs> okay. Um, it was really cool to see my Tobias Aztec five-string bass, which my wife, Chloe, had done the artwork on. It was Aww. one of the first basses Sweet. that she uh, hubba hubba. had creatively <laughs> collaborated with me on. So that was really cool, and I haven't seen that bass in many years. Um, my last memory of that instrument was at, in Mexico City in front of like 80,000 people. Oh, that's it. You know, playing for who the, whom the bell tolls. I guess a few and people Occasionally I'll up. go on YouTube and I'll check that footage out and that's the same instrument so it was really great to see that up there um i had forgotten about that because it's been so long um that alone was super special obviously um our instruments mean a lot to us uh there's a lot of magic in that it's brought us here for this whole experience and i love him man i know being able to celebrate what we do with people from all over the world and, and mainly young people it, it's important like babies. Like babies, yeah. Ages, young ages one to three. Ages zero to Live music. six months. It's cool. You got to go through the exhibit earlier. Obviously, you're proud to see uh, well, we can We can cap that off. There's another couple of minutes. Yeah. But it's cool to hear them talk about their instruments, their guitars. And I like this particularly Robert talking about you know how special they are. There's magic in those yeah, instruments. Yeah, I 100% agree. They've done iconic records and tours mm -hmm. with those instruments. And I love Robert's too. It's, it's, it was a collaboration with his wife who right. painted it. Yeah. This is basically the same stuff that I saw at the Met. Yeah. So it's it was uh, Lars's Orange Thomas from the Death Magnetic World, that Spider Les Paul, and then that... Uh, the base that has the artwork right, on it that yeah. Chloe did. It's interesting to hear them talking about, you know, these are some instruments we haven't seen in so many years. Yeah. It might sound crazy to some people, but obviously these guys have got such a collection of gear that's in storage. It makes perfect sense why you wouldn't see a certain base in five or six years. It might sound crazy, but it ain't no lie. It ain't no lie, man. <laughs> You're not going to finish what the is song? That from? Might sound crazy, but it ain't no lie. Oh. Baby. Bye, bye, bye. Thank goodness. Thank goodness you knew it. <laughs> Um, okay, that's it for the news, by the way. Yeah, not much. Well, actually, uh, last night, so they did this thing here, and then mm -hmm. you know how they're doing little blackened appearances? Right. I think it was in Corpus Christi. They're yeah, doing in these Texas, really yeah. tiny sea markets. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So, uh, Kirk and Rob showed up, right? Yep, Kirk and Rob showed up. Um, and it's really cool that they're, uh, the whole, you can text Metallica thing they just recently came out with. Right. It's, I mean, it actually works, and they've had some little appearances, like Lars was in Vegas, I think. And they text, I don't know how many people, like 30 people, say, hey, meet at this place. Yeah. They show up, and all of a sudden, Lars is there. They're kind of taking that information and using it in a new interactive way, where mm -hmm. they're basically targeting people where they in a zip code where they know they are, right. and saying, hey, if you want to meet Robert and Lars, pop around the corner to blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. They'll be there for 15 minutes. Yeah. 
Um, I've not. Re- I sent a very heartfelt text to Metallica. Yeah. I have not received anything back. I finally uh, jumped on that train too and sent a text to them yesterday. What'd you say? Uh, I was inviting them to the Crying Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what else to put. But I said, hey, it's sponsored by Black. And, and, I, uh, I did think maybe someone from Q Prime would come because Q Prime has offices here, but lo and behold, yeah. they didn't. Well, we'll, we'll see. Maybe they can come to our party. We'll see. We'll see. Now, if you dig the show, go leave us a positive review on iTunes. It only takes a second. goes a long way. We love getting those reviews, and I think we might even uh, we might start doing some kind of feature where we post some of those reviews on our socials mm-hmm. or when we maybe give away some stuff again for those reviews, right. drum those up again. But uh, you know, if, for now, it's just out of the kindness of your own black metal heart. <laughs> if you want to just say, hey, I dig the show. I want to help you guys spread the word. Yeah. If you really dig the show, you can go to the old Patreon, patreon.com backslash metal up your podcast. You're going to hear a commercial for that. But at the very least, we'd like to give a shout out. We have, what is this, five new patrons, Ethan? Five new ones, yeah. All right, you want to get us started? Yeah, we have uh, Venue Rocks, that's V-N-Y-O-U, uh, Rid Lewis, Jenny per- uh, Peria, Peraria, 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 Prairie, Justin Rutherford, and Nancy. Nancy. Okay. Wilson? Maybe that is Nancy Wilson, hubba Nancy hubba. Wilson. Hey, oh my goodness. Will, will allow me to carve out a little time on my own show to say, hubba hubba, Nancy. <laughs> uh, we appreciate all the support over there. It's really cool, the people who get on the ride, who make things that are... I mean, us being able to... Me being able to go in my garage here at HQ2 right. and pick out something to give away at Trivia. Yeah. Um, the patrons make that possible. It's all possible for, because of the patrons. When we're on the road and we find cool, funky stuff, we're able to just be like, cool, we'll take that. That's yeah. something we can give away. Yeah. We do not really keep any of it. Uh, we put it all back into the show. So I think that's a really cool hallmark, hallmark of the show. Uh, we're on the socials. Yeah, go find it. Do you know what social media is, Clint? It's fascinating I'm, I'm trying to forget. Trying to forget, but you know you know the drill. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, blah, 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 blah. We've got a great website, com. You can get the OG and Dagger logo t-shirts, cover World Blackened, Volumes 1, 2, and Trey. Volume four is on its way. I was working on my cover of Dire's Eve just last night. Awesome. Or before Can't... before we went down to the uh, Crying Wolf. Can't wait to hear it, man. It's going to be awesome. We also are going to be dipping back into the Metal Tales from the Road once things kind of slow down a little bit, which they're edging towards the holidays. By the way, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And uh, um, I want, you know, I've got, we've got maybe 30 people signed up. If you're a patron of the show, what we did is we covered the pretty much the whole Worldwide tour. Well, not the whole thing. We really started this in earnest when they came back and started doing arenas the in US, the States. Yeah. The U.S. run is when we kind of The U.S. Started. run is when we kind of picked that back up, which we've done over 50 of these, I think. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot. Um, but what's cool about the Metal Tales is that now that the Worldwide cycle for now is kind of on hold, especially with, with everything up in the air with James a little bit, is uh, we're opening it up to any past shows. So a lot of people have signed up for, for the Orion Festivals or Woodstock, mm-hmm. even some shows back in the 80s. Yeah. Man, you just made me think, I really miss James. Yeah, I do too. I hope he's okay. That's, how long has that been now? Like two months? Someone was asking me last night, you know, by virtue of the podcast, if there was any info on James. Yeah. And, you know, not only is there nothing official, but there's not even, from what I know of, any really insider info yeah. either. No idea. I know that the... The festival shows and the all within my hands gig. I know the gigs are still on the books. Yeah, I mean, you know, and not to bum anybody out, but obviously those things can could still be canceled if you know something in situation with James is is still severe or whatever. But yeah, we have no insider info for anybody right now, unfortunately. But I know that there's a lot of solidarity out there in the Met fam, and mm-hmm. uh, we're all hoping for the best. And and you know, the general vibe being that he needs to take all the time he needs for himself and his family. Agreed. We're all going to be here, ready to rock when he yeah, gets back. I mean, if, if anybody decides to stop being a Metallica fan in this time, then, hey, you're lost. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, too, and, and, and hoping that, that coming back from this kind of thing, feeling strong again, feeling rejuvenated, 
I mean, I'm hoping it puts a fire under their ass to get back in the studio that might yeah. that may not have otherwise been there. Right. I hope so too. I mean, I, I could only hope that we get another Metallica record in the next year or so. Now, speaking of the Met fam, we have a wonderful community of of uh, listeners out there. I think that one of the the greatest legacies of Metal Up Your Podcast is going to be the people that we brought together and that, right. that we've met and become friends with. We get a lot of emails every week, show at gmail.com. And uh, we read five per show, so we're going to dip into the email corner here and talk to the Metal Up Your Podcast family before we dive into the year 2000. Uh, first email is from Dave Ferraro. Hey guys, just listen to your top 10 riffs episode. There's so much to choose from, I wouldn't even know where to begin. But I'm loving, uh, but one that I'm loving currently is the riff right before the solo in Atlas Rise. Uh, Clint, I live in Boston now and was born and raised in Connecticut and fortunately really familiar with Hartford. Uh, what club were you playing when they told you don't go left? My guess would be the Webster Theater. It was the Webster it Theater. Was, okay. Uh, I've been to more shows than I can even try and guess there, uh, and, and, and some I, I even remember. Anyways, great job as always. Cheers, Dave Ferraro from Boston. Yeah, he's referring to uh, when I was kind of, you know, talking smack about Hartford. <laughs> I hope I didn't offend anybody, but it sounds like he's corroborating that, yes, there was a dicey venue. Right, yeah. Hey, it's not my fault these cities suck. Don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go to Hartford and make it shitty. I'm, I've probably played Hartford. I've probably played that venue. I, I don't know. I have to go back and look at old tour dates. And of course, you know, disclaimer: there's beautiful people and beautiful things in all these cities that, that I don't personally like. So I'm not throwing out all of it. Well, and understand too, you know, for two touring musicians who see the world all year long and have for many, many years, you tend to gravitate towards certain cities that you like better than others. And you're not necessarily like that place is a piece of shit, but you know, would I rather uh, have a day off in Chicago or Hartford? Right, exactly. You know, you just you find things you love in certain cities, and there you go. That's all I got to say about that. Thank you for the email, Dave. Uh, our next email is from a new patron. Rid Lewis says, I found your podcast last week, and it's kept me entertained on my commute and early morning runs. And then he says he has a marathon in April. Congrats on the marathon. Good luck with it. I've never run in a marathon. But you've been running a lot lately, though. I am on day 28 of... Um, a pretty strict diet and running five miles a day. Good. Good I've done you. it every day. That's awesome. Uh, I feel great. I awesome. really do. It's really helped. Um, obviously, I've lost some LBs and uh, um, I sleep better and all the sort of associated physical benefits right. of that kind of thing. But it really got me out of a pretty deep mental funk. I was Good. In. That's it awesome. really was really helpful. So uh, obviously, I'm not a doctor, and and uh, you know, if you, any of you out there need any kind of psychological help, I encourage you to to ask for help. But I will say exercising has really, really made a big difference for mm -hmm. me. Oh, yeah, it absolutely helps. And I'd be willing to bet that when you're running those five miles, someone's walking on the street looking at you going, hubba hubba. Well, I'm trying to, yes, I'm trying to, to uh, tame and tone my body into a, a nice solid chunk that would warrant <laughs> a, a cat call or a hubba hubba from, from a man or a woman. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll gladly yell it at you if I drive by you <laughs> by you running. Uh, he says, I have to say you're doing a tip-top job. I've listened to about 20 episodes so far in a desperate and possibly Sisyphean attempt to catch up. Are you familiar with the, the Greek myth of Sisyphus? Sisyphus, doomed, slightly. Doomed to eternally roll a hill, a stone uphill. Oh, right, 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 right. In right, futility. Right. Yes. 
the Leaves of Memory, the other band that I play with occasionally, their f- first record was called Sisyphus Says. Oh, wow. Yeah. Kind of like Simon Says. Exactly. Except less fun. <laughs> Much less fun. Sisyphus Says, keep going, keep, keep rolling keep the stone. Keep going up the hill. <laughs> uh, Rid says his favorite episode so far are the awesome commentaries on Ride the Lightning and Countdown to Extinction. And he says, hello, me. No Psychotron, no Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, uh, that, Psychotron's on Countdown, right? Yeah. I was just listening to that record on the way over here. But Dawn Patrol's on Rest in Peace. Rest in Peace, yeah. Okay, cool. Those are some. <laughs> we end our lives as morals. Yes, we do, please. Been listening to the other uh, to to Metallica since 1986 when I was at age nine, and I stole the Ride the Lightning LP from my older brother and copied it onto cons- onto cassette. I love the podcast. Thank you both for making it happen. Cheers, Rid. Thanks, Rid. You're welcome. I appreciate that, dude. You are welcome. Uh, this next email is quite a long one, so just bear with us. That's from Derek P. It says, "More Paul shirts, please." <laughs> we haven't done a shirt campaign in a while. It's true. We, we were doing the these Everpress campaigns where we were able to... Here's the deal. Ethan and I, um, when we make merch for the show, we're not trying to make money off of it. We just want you guys to have cool shit. We just want our fans to have shit. Yeah. And um, Everpress is this company that we've partnered with for like two years now. Yeah. And what's really cool about them is you know, we don't have to really put out any overhead. What we do is they any profit, really, they make it. Mm-hmm. We basically forfeit over what the profit would be. So... You know, we will go design the shirt, and they run them in campaigns. They're right. like, it's like a twenty-one day campaign. Isn't it where they, if, they, if they get five or more pre-orders, then right. they'll put it into production? So five or more have to be ordered for the for the shirts to start being made. Right. And we usually buy three to five of whatever they are, so we can have a couple in stock for our parties and mm-hmm. such. Uh, so maybe the Paul shirt would be next. I wanted to do a Lunar Satan shirt. You I mean, definitely need to do a Lunar Satan shirt. Well, I wanted to do time it with releasing the album, but now yeah. the album might not come out until next year just yeah. because there's so much shit going on. And right. We'll have to see. We could still do a shirt that just says, that would be a fun shirt to have. I want to do that. I wanted, A lot of people have had good ideas for shirts. Yeah. We'll have to figure it out. Yeah, we'll narrow it down. Uh, thanks for the interest in the Paul shirts, Derek P. I'm sure old Moki Moak gets a kick out of that. Oh, one. yeah. Steve Balaz writes, Hello, brothers. I've been catching up on the previous episodes, and Ethan talks about how he hates hair metal bands. That's not true. Yeah, I think I talk about more. I, I never said I hated hair, hair, hair metal bands. Right. I've, I've definitely like gotten way away from hair metal bands. I still have a couple records on vinyl. I don't hate it. It's just, I think it's, we, we poke fun at it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, to me, as a 41-year-old man... It's just silly, kind of silly music. I, I, I can appreciate the talent yeah. in, as, as a musician, but I don't run to my turntable to put on Girls, poison. girls, girls, right. down at the Sunset Strip. Hubba, hubba. Uh, he says, I've got a story to share. I'm 45. I was in high school at the best time, 88 through 93. Got through all the great music from hair bands to grunge. My first makeout at a high school dance was to the song Love Bites by Def Leppard. <laughs> and he says he lost his virginity, capital V, by the way, Ooh. when Love Song by Tesla was playing. So I praise the music because all of this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for hair bands. Do you remember the song playing during your first kiss? Or your first, uh, well, I don't uh, want to be gratuitous here, but your first hookup sesh? Oh, God, I don't. I mean, I'm trying to think. The first time I ever kissed a girl was like in a... Probably a living room. I was like in sixth grade. You were like 37, 38. 37 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Katy Perry was playing. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, 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 God, I couldn't tell you. My, uh, my album during the hookup sesh was 10 by Pearl Jam. I do remember making out a long time ago. And I was in probably like eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, my, in my room mm-hmm. to the Black Album. Yes. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. A little Don't Tread on Me. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Through the Never. <laughs> Okay, he says, even now, uh, if I'm not listening to Octane, Lithium, or Ozzy's Boneyard, I put on Hair Nation. As Eddie Trunk would say, rock and roll is all the shit from Metallica to the rest. Steve Ballas, 
from Langton, Ontario, Canada, New Jersey. New Jersey, that's where it was. I forgot. Hey, man, if you like hair metal, you like hair metal. No oh, problem. I'm not dogging anybody who likes hair metal. I, I listen. I, I still have a little special place in my heart for that stuff. Right. I, I, there's still some rat stuff. I like Cinderella. Sure. Um, some, even some Motley Crue stuff. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Speaking of catcalling, that the intro to the song "Girls, Girls, Girls" is, or, the, or it's like in the bridge, mm-hmm. is a full on them recording a cat call thing. Yeah. It's like, uh, "Hey Tommy, check out that chick. Where right. Vince? Where right. over there?" They start whistling. Right. But it's the eighties. <laughs> well, I mean, good God, don't I don't we don't have to get too far into this, but you know, some women, I know the, some women who they they like getting attention from men. Mm-hmm. That's what they're. That's a goal they're trying to achieve. Sometimes. Sure. So what do you say to that? You know, you can't be more feminist than the chick who has her own opinion about it. Right. I mean, if a girl cat called me, I'd be flattered. My first thought was, I still got it. Yeah. But it doesn't ever really happen I'm to me. I'm trying to remember <laughs> the last time that happened to me. That wasn't like a fan at a show. When was the last time that happened to me this week? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I've ever been cat called. You had, you had a chick recently that was all about you. Oh, God. Down in Birmingham, yeah, yeah. When I just went through Birmingham again a few days ago, coming home from vacation, and we went by the Parkside to grab a beer, yeah, and some dinner. That's a great little spot. Oh, I love that spot. Great, I used, you know, I used to live my house uh, when I lived in Birmingham was right there in Avondale, right oh, by nice. Parkside. Avondale's a great area. I, yeah. I understand that like that was an area that at one point you just don't go over. It there. was really rough. We we were we. I mean, my wife and I, uh, we got into it after it had gentrified a bit. Yeah, we lived right by Bottle Tree Cafe. I don't know if you oh, ever cool. played Bottle Tree. I've never put, played Bottle Tree, but I know where it's at. Okay. Birmingham's a great town. Um, let's just move on. Let's just drop some of this. Let's try. Yeah, we're okay. Tangent City here. Uh, last email is from Hans. I don't know where you are. Auf Wiedersehen, Hans. Auf Wiedersehen, Hans. It's great to see Guten you. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Uh, just started listening to your podcast. I love Tom's Alpha Metallica and discovered uh, you guys do, do that show. Uh, you guys do a great job. I'm making my way through haphazardly listening to episodes in no particular order. Really enjoying the load content, being a huge load era fan. Uh, I love the reload, rehearse, and request. Um, do you wonder why Lars looked a little off that day? Uh, his mom passed away the day before, and I believe they were honoring the, the commitment to MTV, as I understand. Uh, I remember that happening because Metallica were due here in New Zealand of March 1998, and they post uh, postponed three weeks. Cheers, guys. Keep up the great work. Hans. <laughs> I'll feed this in. Yeah, I remember You know, we, we did 1998, a year in the life of Metallica, and we covered mm-hmm. all that. This yeah. is how... You know, especially in those later '90s years, they, the machine was rolling so hard. Mm-hmm. You know, tough to stop it. Yeah, even when you would have things like kids were being born, fam- family members were passing away, mm-hmm. um, and that actually kind of is going to contextualize a lot of this stuff in 2000 because, ostensibly, they were going into 2000 without a lot of stuff on the calendar, at least mm-hmm. in the beginning part of the year. They'd had the summer sanitarium tours right. we're going to get into, and then they had you know promotional stuff, releasing "I Disappear," "No Leaf Clover" single, blah blah right. blah. Yeah. But it would end up being a pretty crazy year. We're going to get into why. Now, listen, it was that easy in terms of the emails. It's uh, metal up your podcast show at gmail.com. We love hearing from everybody. Write us a note. Let us know what you think. Uh, give us your thoughts. Give us your Metallica story. Whatever comments on whatever the last episode was. Pleases us to read your emails. Much as it pleases us, yes. And uh, having said all that, let's hear a little commercial from Patreon. And uh, and a word from one of our new sponsors, and uh, we'll see you guys on the flip flop. All right.
Hey everyone, this is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month, or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free downloads of every cover our world blackened ep ticket giveaways for shows like snm2 and slain castle box sets rare vinyl metallica memorabilia like snm2 guitar picks email priority meaning we'll read your email first on the show the chance to ask guests like hailstorm jay weinberg of slipknot and metallica row crew your very own questions and the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our metal tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. We crack, we crack, we made a toilet that we crack, we crack, we crack, we made a toilet that weighs your crap. What did you eat last night? Is it coming out alright? If you think you might be sick, well we got just the trick. You can we crack, we crack, we made a toilet that weighs crap, we crack. We crap, we made a toilet that weighs your crap. Is last night's Taco Bell giving you hell? If you worry what people think, if you got a bag that stinks, you can we crap, we crap, we made a toilet that weighs crap. We crap, we crap, we made a toilet that weighs your crap. I just want to be accurate about feces So get the number right Even if it takes all goddamn night What'd you eat last night? Is it coming out alright? Don't let last night's eggplant End up in your favorite pen Where you crap? Where you crap? We made a toilet that weighs crap We crap, we crap We made a toilet that weighs your crap We made a toilet that weighs your crap We made a toilet that weighs your crap Weigh your crap Here's the flowchart for this when we do these We start with Metallica.com There's a section of the website called Timeline It's really great It's awesome it doesn't have everything though, because obviously they, they they highlight things. Yeah, they're not going to put like every single tour date. I mean, in that section, you still can go look at all their tour dates as well. But and these and these episodes for us aren't about highlights; they're about deep dives. Right. So I start there with Metallica's highlights, and then I go to their tour, whatever the year is, and I fill in the blanks with touring, mm-hmm. and then I go through um, Joel McIver's book, The Truth and Justice for All. Which is really detailed, but it has a lot of errors. Yeah. And then I go through Mick Wall's book, Internight. And then I compile all this stuff by date. And then I will, for each thing, I will go look up on the internet what that thing is. Right. Yeah. Or e- even a good way to, <clears throat> to, to find out this info that maybe not be on their website. It's even just like Googling 
uh, that particular tour. And yeah. then you'll start finding articles on things that yeah. happen, notable shows, yep. accidents, whatever. So that's kind of the, the jumping off point. We want to make sure that these are thorough. There's, I mean, I learn stuff every time we do these. Mm-hmm. And it's also just good jumping off points to talk about Metallica. Yeah, Which I, is something that you and I do often now. We do, we, we do that, actually. <laughs> We've don't done we? it a little bit, haven't we? I didn't we? realize how much we talked about Metallica. We do. All right, so coming right into January 1st through 10th, the boys are finishing up their M2K mini tour, which we talked about on our 1999 right. episode. Uh, they did New Year's Eve with uh, Ted Nugent and Seven Dust mm-hmm. at, uh, in Detroit. In Detroit, yeah. They came out into Detroit City. Now, that tour continued on through Cleveland, Milwaukee, two nights in Chicago. And I thought it was two nights at the Target Center, but Jeremy, who came to our show last night, said it was three nights. Oh, okay. He's a bus driver in town, and he actually was driving for Kid Rock on that tour. That's right, he was. Yeah, he told us some cool stuff last night. Yeah. He seemed like a cool cat. Yeah, he seemed like a really cool dude. So It's interesting uh, just to the era of music that was so popular at this time, it, it, it's very reflective in who Metallica has opening for them. Like Kid Rock and Seven Dust. Kid Rock was so huge because I, I believe it was 99 when Devil Without a Cause blew up. Yeah, Bawa Taba. It had Bawa Taba. It had only God Knows Why. It had uh, um, a Cowboy, that I'm a Cowboy, cowboy baby. Right, yeah. had, I mean, it had a lot of big hits. Yeah. yeah he was an interesting artist. It, it, at a certain point, I'm like, why is this getting popular? But it was kind of a mix of a lot of things. I like the rap rock thing was yeah, still big. I kind of liked it, you know. There I, was some stuff I kind of. I liked. had the the album and I liked it. And, yeah. Um, and then it kind of got so big, it kind of got cool to dislike it. Mm-hmm. And I but and I never really liked him much. Yeah. I sort of begrudgingly liked the music because he seemed kind of like a douche. Right. Although in the real world, just I've I've hung out with a lot of people who who know him and mm-hmm. some bus drivers that drove him. He's apparently a really great dude. Yeah, I've, he's got a really good reputation. A friend of mine lives next door to him, right? Um, here, uh, here in Nashville, and uh, he's like, yeah, he's. I don't see him a ton, but when I do, he invites me over. He has parties. Super nice dude. And I think too, like they were all buddies. You know, I, I think right. it, I think it made a lot of sense to have them open because they were so huge. But I think they were also kicking it too and partying. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and also you got a guy like Lars Ulrich who's so you know immersed into what new music is happening and what's popular and. You know the smart decisions to bring on the road. Mm-hmm. You know are these two bands, obviously, and so, yeah. I mean, he's he's hip to all this stuff. Right. He knows what's going to work well with them and for their fans and for ticket sales and all that stuff. So January fourteenth. Now this is going to contextualize some of the uh, some of the Napster stuff that's going to happen later. Mm-hmm. So Metallica's legal department files a lawsuit against Victoria's Secret, citing trademark infringement, false designation of origin, unfair competition, and dilution. I guess Victoria's Secret were selling lip pencils that said Metallica. <laughs> uh, and they also sent cease and desist letters to a small furniture maker named Kim Hodges, who was also using the name. Was she making Metallica couches? I don't. I couldn't really find the details on that. I just want to make a lazy boy that said Metallica. It's <laughs> a big deal. Um, later in the year, Metallica's lawyers would sue perfume manufacturer Guerlain and department stores Neumann Marcus and Beg. Bergdorf Goodman. You can tell that I'm not a wealthy person because I've never heard of any of this and I can't even say Bergdorf it. Goodman. Neiman Marcus and Bergdorf Goodman for manufacturing and selling a perfume line called Metallica. Uh, what is the thought process in, in, in this company's marketing department where they're like, hey, we got this new perfume. What should we call it? You know, it's like, you know, uh, Odeon's Passion or some... Odeon's <laughs> Passion! <laughs> Whatever. Holy shit. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, Pleases me much to glide, yes, glide through the portal using Odeon's Passion, yes. 
But you know what I mean? The like, passion of Odeon. But someone at some point in this company decided, you know what we're going to call it? Metallica. Right. And someone's like, uh, actually, it's a, that's a band. I don't know if you should do that. Nah, it's fine. We'll, we'll call it Metallica. Well, I, I completely agree with you. What are they thinking? And then I also take issue with the people who get butthurt about this. Like, first of all, it's their legal department. It's not like James Hetfield's looking up Victoria's Secret and he's like, sue them. Yeah, what the hell? Any big brand does this. And in fact, the uh, Metallica's lawyers were quoted at the time saying, when we find out about things like this, we actively protect the band's trademark rights. It's not like we're trying to protect a name commonly used, like United. Metallica is a unique name. Yes, it is. Agreed. And Man, do you know how many people me and Clint have sued already? <laughs> yeah. Do you know how many podcasts have gone out there and called themselves Metal Up Your Podcast featuring Clint Wells and Ethan Luck that we've had to fucking sue? Oh, our legal department is so busy right now. I mean, look, that's their job. That Metallica yeah. has great lawyers. Yeah. And guess what? It's smart to have if you if you're an entity this gigantic, you have to have lawyers. I'm telling you, man. When we do this Napster episode, Lars did a lot of interviews. A ton, and, yeah. And he really did his homework, man. Mm-hmm. And he makes a lot of statements about business, art, commerce, copyright that are so impressive yeah. and so spot on that I really see his frustration at the time of like. Why can't people understand this? Yeah. I'm explaining it really clearly. Oh, he was... What the problems are. He could not have been more clear. And yet, all anyone took away was Metallica or Greedy Fucks. It's like, dude, that is not the fucking case. They already have enough money. Oh, Gene Simmons gets involved, too, and says some cool shit. He's like, you don't get to decide if I'm rich enough or not. Sorry. That's just not how it works. (laughs) You can't just decide that I'm rich enough where you can steal from me. Right. Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, it is about the money. Yeah. It is about you stealing from me. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Me, too. It's going to be too. awesome. And if anyone wants to do any a little extra homework on it, too, I, I think I brought this up before. We'll play some clips of it. But there's a great Charlie Rose interview with Lars and mm. Chuck D. Cool. From, I think, 2000. Cool. Maybe 01, but I think it's 2000. And they're talking about this whole thing that's happening. And Chuck D's kind of, he's not the antithesis of Lars. In, but he's in, kind of, I've seen it. He's kind of, he, he basically was like, he was basically like, look, this is kind of, he was calling it like the radio. He was like, this is basically like the new radio. We artists need to get on the side of this. Yes. And 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 Lars said many times, he's like, look, I'm not anti-technology. I'm not an idiot. First there was vinyl, then there were cassettes, then there's CD. If the new medium is an MP3, we're going to be a part of it. Yeah. But we're going to do it on our terms. Yes. The, Napster, just without their permission, put I Disappear and, and they're all of their records up there. Mm-hmm. They monitor it, monitored it for like 48 hours, and there were like 3 million copyright infringements yeah. in, in one weekend. He was insane. like, dude, that is not the same as people in the Bay Area making a copy on a cassette tape. Yeah, much different. Th- this is going to actually have big, big uh, you know, yeah. consequences. And we'll get into that in, in much more detail next week. But. I feel really passionate about it because I've given my whole life to music, and in the year 2000, in the year 2000, in the year 2000. I was still in high school, and um, it had no real effect on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now, all these years later, it's how I feed my baby, and uh, it's important to me. Yeah, I, like I was saying earlier, I, you know, I was in 2000, I was already on, on tour at this point, and yeah, it didn't affect me personally. I was still living at home with my parents. I was on the road, you know, making decent money, and I didn't think anything of it. If, if anything, at one point, I participated in it. I was like, "What is this?" Mm-hmm. Like, because it was all new. I didn't really understand that it was wrong. Right. And so I would download shit, and then like a while later, I'm like, once all this info came out about copyright infringement and trademark stuff, all this stuff, I was like, I can't be, I can't do that. I can't keep just taking someone's shit. Yeah. If they did that to me, I'd be bummed. 
I I did. I, I don't know why. Um, I don't think I'm some sort of moral genius or better than anybody. I, I had a lot of friends that were older than me mm-hmm. at that time. And uh, I, I had a pretty clear sense of like, I remember seeing it. I remember typing in Dave Matthews Band yeah. and seeing their entire discography peer-to-peer available to just download. At, I was at Birmingham Southern where my girlfriend went to college. Yeah. And it was Kazaa. Because I, I remember that one. And I was like, what the fuck's all this? And she she typed in like whatever we were listening to at mm-hmm. the time. Incubus or some shit. Whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, totally. And their entire discography came up. And what I was looking for was live shit. Yeah. I loved finding like live acoustic versions of stuff. I did use it I did use Napster a bit for that kind of stuff. Live stuff, B sides that were like oh, super hard to find. I remember my friend getting like the per- the uh, a perfect circle had just put out Merida Nam mm-hmm. and it was blowing up. Yeah. That was like a huge, Judith was a big, huge single. And I remember watching my friend, I remember I had to like save up the 15 bucks to go get it. Yeah. And I remember watching my friend download it off Kazaa. And, and then he, hit a, straight to his CD. he hit a button and the hollow was playing. And I was like, whoa. What just happened? You know, and we were 17. So we were, there was a sense of like, ooh, this is like chaotic and naughty and cool. And yeah. The, um, the immediate gratification. In 2000, that wasn't that common, even though there was internet. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. remember I remember in the year 2000, downloading a live tool video of one song, The Grudge, mm-hmm. and it took me like four days. <laughs> totally, yeah. I would, we I were still like, on dial-up at that point. I, I would like treat myself every eight hours by watching whatever minute of it had downloaded. Yeah. So the instant gratification of it all was new. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get it, but... And it was the Wild West. And a lot of people back then, myself included, like, you know, just before all the Napster stuff happened, I remember mp3.com came out. Yeah, I remember mp3.com. And I had a buddy that was, like, real computer savvy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you should put your, it's a local band at the time, put your band's profile on mp3.com. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. So I'll come over and show you. He's like, you know, we, he grabbed our CDR of our four demos. He's like, I'm going to upload these to your profile. I'm like, what does uploading mean? I, had no, right. I, I didn't know what that meant. Right. Didn't know what downloading meant, nothing. And, you know, it's just crazy to think that was, that was about 20 years ago. Yeah. Not that long ago. Well, we're, yeah, we're, we're not going to, we're going to save this. Let's save it. Because we're going to do a deep dive for sure. Delete all that. <laughs> Delete that, please. Uh, February 23rd, Metallica wins their fifth Grammy in the best hard rock performance for Whiskey in the Jar. Cool that they won it for a cover. Yeah. I mean, it's a great cover. It's the second time. They yeah. won for Stone Cold Crazy also. Yep. I mean, it, it, and obviously they've they've kind of much like Stone Cold Crazy and a lot of covers they do. They kind of make them their own. Yeah, I mean, I was just listening to uh, you know someone in the emails mentioned our friend Tom Quee over at Alpha Metallica. Hello, hi, hello, hello greetings, hi, hello. It's me once again, yet again. Hello. Um, he just did his Whiskey in the Jar episode, and you know he's pretty. Tom's pretty like he, he's not afraid to say what he doesn't like about shit. Really, Tom? He's, he's pretty fair about Whiskey in the Jar, but he's a big Thin Lizzy fan, and yeah. he talks about how he finds the original quite a bit more superior. Yeah. I don't. I think Metallica's version is awesome. I think it's awesome. That's that's one of those versions, both of them, where, I, I mean, it's a toss-up for me. Put on either, and I'll love the hell out of it. Yeah. It's you just know? a great song. It just depends on what it is. You know, when you listen to a cover like, you know, um, The Clash doing, um, oh my God, I tip my tummy, he's Clash on Why can't I think of this right now? Mm. I Fought the Law. Oh, yeah. I that's Fought the Law and old the Law fif- one. Old song old from the 50s. 50s. Yeah, yeah and, and the original one's cool, but The Clash, I mean, they just dominated The Clash one's way better. It's so fucking good. Yeah. You know, but Whiskey in a Jar, Metallica's to Thin Lizzy's, it's, I'm on the fence. I love them both. I think, I, I think my problem is I kind of got hip to the Metallica one first. I did too, yeah. So, you know, when I heard the Thin Lizzy one, it just it sounds kind of thin and wimpy. And I get it. Thin Lizzy's a badass rock band. Yeah. But... 
compared to the Metallica version, it doesn't have as the balls. Right. Can you say? Can you describe things uh, as as having balls in 2019, or is that out? No, we can do that. Okay. Yeah. It has balls. Hubba hubba. Hubba hubba balls. All right. In early March, now this is when the this is when the shit starts to hit the fan. Really, bootlegged versions of "I Disappear" begin appearing on the fucking radio. It's crazy. This was one of six earlier versions, not the final mix slated for a mid-April release. Thus beginneth the Napster controversy. Thus beginneth. So, they're not demos. These are like, I don't know if you've ever heard these, but it's basically unmixed. Mm -hmm. And you know how the choruses to I Disappear kind of go down? Yeah. Uh, it's got the, hey, 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 here I go now. And it kind of comes down with the, do you? Yeah. Uh, In these leaked versions... All of the courses are big, okay, kind of like the last course. So were they were they like actual different recorded parts? I don't know if they're outtakes or if they're or if maybe they have some takes where he he slammed the drums and mm-hmm. they just mixed them out because it kind of goes to like a sixteenth note hat thing I think in the choruses. Of course, it's like it, it, on the snare it's like a oh it's like a marching thing yeah 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 and it kind of ramps up, but just you know not only. Just imagine it. Imagine if the full version got leaked. That's a bummer in of its own. Mm-hmm. But imagine if what leaked isn't even what you wanted to be represented. No, that it's, would be awful. It's a rough mix. Totally. And it still sounds pretty good, but it's a rough mix. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine at the time them getting word like, hey, the not final version of I Disappear is starting to show up on radio stations. Right. And they're probably like, what? Like, how, how is this possible? Right. Oh, it's because there's this thing called Napster. Right. So that kind of starts everything. That and it's really early. You know, I talked about them, their legal department suing like Victoria's Secret in January, just to sort of contextualize that this is a band that pays attention to this shit. Yeah. So when, two months later is when you know they've got the Mission Impossible Two soundtrack. They've been it's the first time they've ever written a song for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's coming out in April or whatever. They're gonna make a, a video. They're gonna do the full thing. And right. Suddenly they hear. That a shitty lo-fi unmixed version is on the fucking radio. I wonder if they immediately went st- to the studio staff, like who the fuck? Because someone had to leak it. It was someone. I mean, someone in the studio had to like bounce it down one night when no one was around, and then upload it somewhere. But see, that start then you just you start to begin sort of the wild west nature of MP3s because mm-hmm. that might have been a time when yeah the, the, maybe Bob Rock bounced a rough and emailed it to himself, but someone yeah. Someone intercepted it, or who who knows, man? Something could have been. They could have burned it, it to a CDR. It, it could have been an innocent thing, is what I'm saying. In the, in the MP3 world, I don't know. It sucks though. I, I, you know, that would just be devastating news with this with this massive build up to this announcement of this new song with this movie. And and if you remember, the Mission Impossible first couple movies were huge, massive. Well, Brian De Palma did the first one. Yeah, a big director, Tom Cruise, big name. It's yeah. a big franchise. Short guy, big name. <laughs> Short guy. He's, they, pre- he's pretty. Short. I love in the video, by the way. They're up on this like mesa, and he's climbing it. Right. He wants to go see Metallica. He play. wants to go to a Metallica concert. I mean, if Metallica's playing on the top of a, a mesa, yeah, a, a plateau, dude, it's really hard to get there. But when you get there, seats are killer. Uh, seats are killer, and they're gonna play "I Disappear" all day. They're just gonna play "I Disappear" over and over. Uh, minor dust storms all day, and uh, the, but the view's incredible. The view's incredible. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Honey, please. March 20th, they release the No Leaf Clover single, and the CD included snippets of the S&M documentary, which I love that documentary. Mm-hmm, we'll yeah. do a whole burn down of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also want to do a burn down of the, there was an MTV Making of I Disappear video. Yeah, I remember with, that. With Wayne Isham. That's yep. super fun. Oh, yeah. 
Because the the editing and effects in that video are pretty cool. They're very cool. We've done a whole we've done a whole series on their videos that yeah. we'll refer to you on. But we've covered I disappear. But you know they're paying homage to these classic movies, mm-hmm. and they're zooming into their faces up on the mesa, and then it comes out. Right. It's a pretty fun video. And I'm I'm also just I've said this probably numerous times over the course of three years. I'm so thankful that Metallica decided to be a very camera friendly band. Yeah. Where there's so much behind the scenes content you can find. You know, we talk about this one single, I disappear, and there's a whole making of behind it. Right. You know, it's like every record basically since the black album, you can find a you know, maybe not uh, like the yeah, Death Magnetic, maybe not the, an official theatrical release of it, but there's a th- whatever, two and a half, three hour thing on YouTube. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just kind of pieced together. It's nothing crazy. Right. You could, you, you, we all as fans get this great glimpse into their world. It's awesome. It does make me um, greedy and hungry for like pre black album behind. Like, there's not a lot of behind the scenes on anything before that. No, I mean, I don't think they realized maybe the importance of that kind of stuff yeah. um, prior to the black album. Yeah. You know, I mean, you there's go to like the Justice Cl- there's, box set. There's, there's Cliff Amal. Yeah, Cliff Amal. But that was kind of pieced together after Cliff died. And, yeah. Um, and it's all mostly just like camcorder. Yeah. You know, looks kind of bad. But um, yeah, could you imagine if there was like a full length documentary on the making of Justice or Puppets? Holy or, crap. Any of those records, you know, and like all of a sudden we find out there's all this hidden footage we never knew existed. But I don't think that's what they did back then. It was just them and Fleming just hacking out the record. Yeah. And maybe a photographer came in for a day or something, but it was probably them just, you know, little disposable camera or something just taking If photos. you see pictures of James Hetfield wearing a Mr. Bubble shirt, that's from the puppet sessions. It's like one mm-hmm. of the only pictures of that time. And right. he's always holding, he's holding a white Jackson V. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's such an odd thing. Yeah. Mr. Bubble. Hmm. Okay. April 8th, Metallica and Michael Kamen win the Arthur M. Soshot Award for Excellence for SM. Lars also wins the California Music Award for Outstanding. That's like drummer. the third year in a row. They love him over in that California. They just love him there. They, they love him here, the, please. Except the Dane. April 3rd, Metallica files a law. Okay, so here's where the Napster shit really starts. Uh, Metallica files a lawsuit against four parties Napster itself. Three college universities, the reason being because their computer networks permitted the use of Napster, uh, the University of Southern California, Yale, and Indiana University. They sued technically for copyright infringement, unlawful use of a digital audio interface device, and violations of the Racketeering-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. You will be tested on this material later, Ethan. Yeah, I'm paying attention. Okay, good. In copious notes. Uh, letters went out to several other colleges encouraging the restriction of Napster. Dr. Dre gets involved. And uh, Metallica made this statement. Metallica is suing Napster because we felt someone had to address this important artistic issue, and we've always been known for taking leadership roles in the fight for artists' rights. We were the first band to sue our record company, Time Warner, for the right to control our future. This is no different. Why should music be free when it costs artists money to record and produce? So they're already trying to get the right narrative out there. And even James has said, I stood by Lars for all that. I think he could have said some stuff better. And Lars has admitted too. He said early on in this process, he made some mistakes in interviews when he yeah. got a little heated, and that he had to learn a lot about how to communicate God, well. How can you not get heated though when this is like affecting so many people's careers? I right. mean, there's bands that have ended because of this motherfucker that started Napster. They couldn't afford to be on the road anymore. Well, and that's what Lars basically says. He's like, "Look, if you guys think that we're doing this because we need the money, you're you're wrong. You're out of your mind. This yeah. is pocket change for us." Yeah. What I'm talking about are the bands who who go from selling 6,000 of their CDs out of the trunk of their car to only selling 50 mm-hmm. because people can get it on LimeWire for free. Yep. That yep. is going to significantly 
economically affect these bands. Mm-hmm. That that every CD. I mean, dude, I've been in bands before where we needed the merch sales to pay for gas yeah. to get to the next gig. Of course, yeah. Maybe get like two tacos at Taco Bell on the way. Maybe get a hotel room instead of having to crash with a fan. Yeah, and uh, share. All, everyone shares one hotel room. Yes. Oh, yeah, we, I've done that so many times. Uh, and, 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 you know, a band can't stay there. Like, your band's got to start leveling up. Right. But goddamn, that stage is so important. There. Uh, let me refer you okay. personally and all of our listeners to the Black Keys on Joe Rogan's podcast. I haven't heard that one yet. They do a lot of deep dives into this very issue. Cool. And the drummer, Patrick Carney, he talks a lot about, he's like, the thing he worries the most, he's like, you know, a band like the Black Keys, he's like, we're going to be fine. We, we, we've just made it over a certain hump where mm-hmm. we can always tour and sell enough tickets to keep this machine going. Yeah. Even if interest in our records declines or whatever. Sure. He's like, but what, what I worry about are bands in the very stage that you and I are talking about. He said, that's the hardest stage to get through. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if if the money really dries up in that area, art will suffer. People who are supposed to be making art simply won't be a, around to make it. Yeah, correct. They'll be doing other jobs, mm-hmm. and uh, we're all going to suffer later. Yeah, I mean, it's it's no joke. I mean, I, I think, you know, as someone who does solo music, you know, I'm not necessarily actively trying to be on the road full time as a solo artist. That would be great. But... Um, as easy as it is to get your music out there in the world with, you know, <clears throat> DistroKid, which, which we use for our cover of Black and EPs, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. Whatever. Um, but it's it's so impossible to get people to pay attention to it. And it's so impossible to make any kind of living at it. I mean, I can, I've had my, uh, my music online for about six-ish years, six and a half years. In total, in those six years, I've probably made about $2,000 in six years. I saw an interview with Tom York when Radiohead's last album came out, which is called A Moonshaped Pool. Um, probably my second favorite Radiohead record. Mm-hmm. It's just, they're making some of the best shit all these years later. Right. Um, he described the release of that record. This is Radiohead. This is I'm a Creep. This I'm is okay. a bitch. This is Graham. <laughs> this is Meredith Brooks and Radiohead. Uh, <laughs> Meredith Head. No, but this is a you know, OK Computer won the Grammy. This is this is a Grammy award winning, oh, highly respected band, a household name. Mm-hmm. And by the way, a band who like Metallica did everything on their own terms. Mm-hmm. They are they are true originals. What was the record that they released? Uh, and they were the, one of the first bands to do the uh, in, na- name your own price model. in rainbows. In rainbows, and it was it was only for three months. Yeah, and then it was a normal. In normal commerce, but they did do a name your own price for three months, and I think uh, it was I, successful. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I'd have to look up the exact details, but I'm pretty sure they actually made more than they would have on the amount of records sold. It was successful. It was sort of like allowing fans to police themselves and to decide market value, and mm-hmm. they did it just to see, you know, because everything yeah. was moving that way. So they just exactly. wanted to see. Well, and you, and you're gonna you're always gonna have people that are gonna be like, oh, sweet, free. And that's great. It's your decision as the artist to make it name your price. But then you have other hardcore fans that are like, this record's great. I'm paying 20 bucks for it. Right. You know, like I've done that with other friends that have released records. Like, hey, I'm, yeah. name your price on Bandcamp or whatever. And they suggested prices, uh, you know, eight bucks and I'll give them 12. I whatever. used to do that on Noise Trade all the time. Yeah. Um, but Radiohead at the time of releasing a moon-shaped pool, Tom York described it as a pebble in a waterfall. And that's Radiohead. That, you know, they have a publicity machine. Mm-hmm. They have a marketing department of whatever label they're on. Right. You know, so someone like you or I or our peers, our buddies, or bands that we, bands that might be your favorite band in 15 years, but right now they're duking it out in a van in fucking middle America. Yeah. 
I think about that all the time. I'm like, dude, I didn't even know who Post Malone was three years ago. Mm -hmm. And now he's one of my favorite artists. Yeah. These are artists and bands that we don't know yet yeah. who are paying their dues as we fucking speak. Yeah, absolutely. And think about what's your favorite band right now? Uh, that's not like Metallica. I, I just got into this uh, female solo artist named uh, Claude Fontaine. Right. Oh my God, her record's so good. The first half is all old school reggae, and she has a sweet, soft, breathy voice. Mm -hmm. The whole second half is like um, like Calypso, kind of real chill, um, not salsa, but it's just rad. It's just a cool, cool record. Well, so just imagine not having that record and not having your new favorite artist yeah. because she couldn't afford to get in her van and take it to the world. Right. And now this also is testament to the technology nowadays. I discovered her record in a Chipotle. Mm -hmm. I was sitting there in Memphis having lunch and I heard it on the speaker. I'm like, this is rad. What is this? And I grabbed my phone and did the Siri thing and that's how I figured it out. Right. Go away. You know what that is, by the way? That is my mailman delivering the Black Album to me on vinyl. Ooh. Why one don't you go get it and unbox it on the show? One of our listeners heard me say in a previous episode that I, that was the only one I didn't have. Yeah. And he has two copies of it, and he sent it to me. That's amazing. Wasn't um, that... Um, I don't want to embarrass him, but I'll say his name, or at least his social on his socials. I think it's Alex. It, yeah, it is Alex. Alex VD. He's a he's a he's a sweet dude. He he uh, hooked me up with some cool stuff when I played uh, uh, somewhat near where he lives. When me and <clears throat> Jack O'Shea did a little solo tour, he came up well, to the show. I I I I said, well, first of all, so thank you know, so grateful for the for the vinyl. And I said, dude, let me at least cover the shipping. And he was like, ah, oh, it was like ten bucks. He's like, man, take your daughter out for some ice cream. Don't worry about it. Uh huh. That's cool. So go get it. I just should I get it? Yeah, I let's unbox it. I and mean, we all know what it looks like, but come on. All right, Clint's standing up and walk. I'm gonna walk all the listeners right through this. Okay. He's standing up. He almost knocked his coffee over. Shit. He said, "Shit." This is exciting for anyone that listens who who collects vinyl. I don't often order a lot of vinyl on online, but when it when I do and it does show up, it's like fucking Christmas. Wow, a lot of tape on that. <laughs> There's a lot of tape. Tell a funny joke. I don't really. I'm not really a good joke teller, but. Anyways, what I was saying was, it's an exciting, very exciting feeling when vinyl shows up on your front porch. Someone delivers delivers it to you. Open that thing up. Like recently, when I got a uh, Beastie Boys, and uh, I got load on vinyl. What's taking so long? I hear him opening it. Here we go. Ooh, I see some oh, bubble wrap. There's an S&M two koozie in here too. What? What? S <clears throat> and M two koozie and a handwritten letter apparently. Wow. Dude. Well, God, now that we're... What else is in there? Oh, this is just the actual record. Oh. Um, a lot of people ship records like that, by the way. So, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there now. The metallic records that I don't have on vinyl are Death Magnetic, Insane Anger, and S&M. We, we just have the coolest... Hint, hint, everybody. We have the coolest listeners in the world, man. I know, dude. Well, I mean, you just got the Black Album on vinyl, compliments of Alex. I got Reload on vinyl not too long ago from one of our fans. I mean... Pretty awesome. Should I read the note? There's a note here. I mean, is it personal? Um, I don't know. Let me just... I haven't read it. Obviously, I just got it. Here we go. Uh, Ethan and Clint, I've written into the email corner in the past, but this is my first handwritten letter to the show. Clint mentioned on the episode with Wes that he did not have the Black Album on vinyl. I had two copies, so I'm sending you my extra. 
I'm also including a can koozie that I picked up at SNM2. Please toss that into the pile of future Patreon gifts. Wow. We'll, hey, we'll do, dude. Um, enjoy the album. Album. I'm happy to send it to you as a token of my appreciation for all that you guys do on a weekly basis, especially with your constantly busy schedules. For me, the last two months of the podcast are the best yet of your nearly three-year run. Wow. Keep it up. Rock on, Alex, Atlanta, New Jersey, brother. Dude, that's so cool. That is so cool, man. That's all, is that a, I'm assuming that's a blackened release? Yes, it because is? because what uh, what he had said is that he ended up getting an OG Electro release. Yeah, I'm sure that one's. So worth this a lot is, more. I believe, the 2012 Black and reissue. I don't even care about. That. I mean, it's cool if you find an OG pressing of something and it's a fair price. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to stuff like this, like my version of Load is a Black and right. reissue. That's great. I, I believe all of mine are, are Blackened. All um, my Kill 'Em All puppets and Lightning are all Injustice are all OG. Oh, we I got finally s- I finally got Saint Anger. Saint Anger on vinyl. That's a good looking vinyl. I love the Bound Angel. Look how badass or, James looks. What like I'm photo. showing Ethan right now is uh, my. I finally caved and got the Saint Anger vinyl. It looks great. Pusshead's working out so awesome. Um, where were we on the? I uh, don't know. Anyway, we're, thanks to Alex. Let's, Sa- keep, let's just keep thanks for the detour. Um, okay, April sixteenth, the I Disappear video shoot takes place in San Francisco and also Monument Valley, Utah, which is where the the Mesa scenes mm-hmm, are. Right. Uh, April 19th, I Disappear officially debuts on the radio after being leaked by Napster. Now, I'm not sure if the demo leaking sort of accelerated the process. Yeah, I wonder or... that. I mean, I, I, I know that that kind of stuff has happened in the past at kind of the height of Napster and illegal downloading and torrenting and stuff. Because I know torrenting still exists, but it's in the music world, it's kind of, I, I think, I could be wrong, I feel like it's kind of like plateaued. Or at least come down because because of Spotify and music oh, streaming well, services. Well, what streaming did is streaming basically destroyed all that, which right. is fine. Um, the problem now That's a whole other problem. <laughs> there's a whole other problem now, and this is where Paul is optimistic: is just really getting onto the other side of fair compensation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, Patrick Carney from the Black Keys talks about that a lot. He's like, look, you know, the Taylor Swift gets a hundred million streams. Mm-hmm. Your favorite local, not local, but your favorite indie band gets three hundred. Yeah. He thinks more. He thinks so. Everyone's paying ten dollars a month flat. Right. He, he just says there needs to be more nuance in the curation of the value of one stream. Mm-hmm, it, yeah. it can't be the same for Taylor as it is for the chick you're talking about, right? Yeah, because they can't live off that. No, not at all. If you're someone like Taylor Swift, you can still make money with streaming mm-hmm. because she gets a billion streams. Oh, she gets a shitload. Yeah, absolutely. So and anyway, if you do the math, it's still a good amount of money. So there's this, there's stuff to figure out, but we are in a better spot. I mean, we're in a better spot now than we were. Yes. But but I'm telling you, I think that a lot of that has to do with Lars Ulrich. Mm-hmm. And Lars Ulrich ha- b- having the prescience and the foresight to take this shit on yeah. immediately. Yeah. I love uh, when you see like uh, them post fan photos from this last tour and occasionally you'll see a, uh, see a Lars was right t-shirt. Yeah. I love those. Yeah. I, I kind of want one of those. Uh, May 4th, the I Disappear music video premieres. Wayne Isham features homages to several classic films like North by Northwest and Bullet. We've, uh, everyone has seen that. May 9th, the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack is released. This is the first soundtrack for which Metallica offered an original recording. And I'm glad they did. I love the song I Disappear. Is there, is there another one, though, after that? Would this be the only one where they recorded a song specifically for a soundtrack? Well, in 97... A really weird remix of Bells was used for Spawn. Right. But it was like a remix. This was, you know, they were asked, you know, Mission Impossible always has someone do an original song. Right. Yeah. You two did one, Adele. Or no, wait, I'm thinking of, of James Bond. James Bond. Uh... James Bond. You uh, two did do Mission Impossible. Yeah. You, yeah. Dun, that's right. dun, 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 dun. It was really just Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr. Yeah. It wasn't Bono in the Edge. Yeah. But, uh, 
you are thinking about with uh, James Bond. That was like Adele. Madonna did Die Another yeah, Day. That's right. Um, but I think Mission Impossible has that too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that is one of you know. No Leaf Clover and Minus Human and I Disappear are some of the only Metallica songs specifically written for non-Metallica albums. Right. There aren't a lot of other examples of that. Yeah, there's not really. I mean, it's like whenever they record, they kind of put everything on the record. Or they record an, uh, what, yeah. what they want to put on there's the record. There's nothing left over. No, I That's mean, why all of their B-sides were always covers or yeah. live versions. Yeah. You know, it would be like The Prince and Blitzkrieg and, you know, all their covers. Mm-hmm. It was never like... Oh, the, you know, songs that were pretty cool. But I mean, Beyond Magnetic is as close as we've ever gotten. Yeah, Lords, Lords of Summer. Lords of Summer, yeah, that's that was right. was an original tune that that's right. didn't make the record. You're right. Yep, look You're at right. you. I'm You're right. I'm right. Uh, moving right along here. May 25th, Lars gives an hour-long interview with online magazine Slashdot about the Napster issue. We're going to talk about that on the next episode. But uh, we're going to listen to the whole thing right now. <laughs> Buckle up. All right. Uh, James Hetfield jams with Motorhead in San Francisco, plays Overkill, and calls Lemmy the godfather of heavy metal. I have a clip of this moment. Yep. And I would agree. Slimmy looking good. Yeah. James Hetfield. Let me headbutt him. That's banging. Now he's got a guitar. The Ace of Spades. <laughs> the Ace like of that. Spades. That guitar looks so silly on James. Love James's uh, 2000 look. Yeah, kind of a longer goatee. Uh, yeah, it's perfectly crystallized, in my opinion, uh, in the I Disappear video. Mm-hmm. He's got that like leather jacket thing right. on, and he's got the goatee, longer goatee, shades, spiky hair. Yeah, kind of that it's, early 2000 spiky. It's kind of that, too, it looks dated, but he looks cool. Dude, I mean, there's not really an era of James's look that I don't yeah, like. Yeah, he always looks. I'm sorry, that I, that I don't care for. He yeah. always looks cool in some sort of way. I'm not crazy about the... Some kind of monster overalls with the glasses. See, I, I kind of dug the overall era in some <laughs> kind of monster, only because I mean I know that James is super into hot rods and hot rod culture, yeah, and that's kind of part of it. A lot of those dudes will wear overalls. I didn't like the greaser vibe either, the slick back hair thing. I, I didn't, loved it. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, how about, how about extra skinny James at like Orion Festival when he was like really getting tattooed more? Oh yeah, well the uh, the the 2011 the sort of thir- bringing the bullet belt back the and 30th stuff. anniversary shows yeah. he was so thin super thin um i like it because i like thin dudes i just i like people hubba, hubba. I, I like people thin yeah and uh, i envy thin people because i want to be thin yeah. so i like it in that way but he he looks better with a little bit of meat on him man yeah 
He looked really gaunt in those. He must have went on some crazy low carb diet yeah. or something. Yeah, and... I think he did. Yeah, he was just getting it tight and right. I understand. That's right, man. He got thirty years of music to play. Okay, moving right along here, June third. Oh wait, oh I wanted to play a clip of this. James provides his voice for the South Park, uh, bigger, longer, and uncut. Oh yeah, movie. Do you remember the song oh, yeah, totally. called "Hell Isn't Good"? Gosh, I love South Park. I haven't watched it in forever, but this is great. It's only like a minute <laughs> the, the long. The devil dressed like Britney Spears. Yeah. And the, Oops, I did it again. <laughs> Little boy at peace. What is this place? That's not Beyond him, obviously. Stars, open up your eyes. What are these things you're moving toward? Heads so full of wonder. Worries in the past. Could it be that you are free at last? No! All right. Uh, next, and I wanted to watch this too. We're kind of a little clip heavy, just sort of bottlenecked right. here. Is uh, this is one of my favorite performances? Uh, this is a band performing "I Disappear" for the first time on the MTV Movie Awards. What I love about this performance, the thing to pay attention to, maybe we won't do the whole thing, but sure, is how great Jason's background vocals sound. He's not doing his typical. Uh, Headfield grunty thing. He's doing a lot more singing. Yeah, and for whatever reason, his vocals are mixed a little too high. Yeah, for the performance. I don't know why. The, if the broadcast mix just kind of came out that way, but uh, I love seeing the band in this era. They're not doing a music video. It's live. They've got the the video playing behind them. Mm -hmm. There's a kabuki in front of the stage. I'm excited to watch watch I, this. It's uh, while. So we're gonna listen and watch together now a Sweet. little bit. I encourage you at home to check it out. But here it is. Here's the audio at least. I love this song, dude. Yeah. It's grown on me so much over the years. Kabuki comes down. Jason looking so bitchin'. Yeah, man. Crazy, he's not using any rack toms. There's none of the song. Ah, you notice that? It's just like kick and snare and a floor tom. Very minimal kit. Yeah, you hear J that? yeah, Jason. Check it out, man. It's good. Suffer. 
You hear him doing that low harmony? Yeah. yeah he sounds great. I don't think he's really mixed too loud. Yeah. It's when Jason kind of started growing his hair out again. Kinda yeah, it's a little long. A little fro, kind of. I think that's the guitar in the Play It Loud exhibit, James's guitar. Oh, yeah? the, uh, the What's that trucker pattern called on the yeah. pickup trucks? Vocals killing it. Oh, yeah. It still just tripped me out to see Lars with such a minimal kit. It's cool. It's really cool. Those harmonics that Kirk are doing are very telling of the t era. A lot of bands were doing that kind of stuff. Love the I'm gone section too. Yeah. He said a curse word. How dare he? It's so crazy to me to think that like a year later Jason would be out of the band. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, the things were not good in the yeah. camp at this time. We're going to find all about, out about all that, too. Totally. Uh, moving right along, June 23rd, Metallica plays the Experience Music Project at Memorial Stadium in Seattle. Listen to these other acts. Dr. Dre, Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Kid mm -hmm. Rock, of course, mm -hmm. Filter, and the Chili Peppers. Their set list was, they opened with Sandman, Bells, Sad, Fuel, I Disappear, King Nothing, Nothing Else Matters, One, and ended with Battery. What a cool lineup. I would love to see that. Especially, I mean, having Dr. Dre, Eminem, and Snoop on I there. I would love to have seen Eminem in that time, Gosh, too. Gosh, he the, was destroying back then. Yeah, he was, was fucking huge. huge in 2000, no doubt. July 1st, the summer sanitarium tour begins. Opening acts are Corn, Kid Rock, Power Man 5000, and System of a Down. Wake up! Living on the set, I want to check up! You wanted to! Head is what I want to wake up! You wanted to! I don't think you, you trust... trust. In my self-righteous suicide. Angels deserve to die, I kind of like that record. What? That record is awesome. What? You made it sound like it was a bad thing that I liked it. I meant like what? Like how could anyone not like it? You're it like, I kind of like it. I liked it because it was so weird. I love that System of a Down record. It was just a weird kind of metal record. Super weird. His vocals were almost real circusy. Yeah. It's far know, out. No one else sounds like them. Totally. I got to see them live once in Australia on that Soundwave tour, and they were fucking great. <clears throat> Sadly, on July 4th, a 21-year-old dude died at the show in Baltimore because he fell from the upper balcony of a stadium. Gosh. Real sad. That I think about that when I go to shows a lot. Yeah. I look up at like the upper tier, and I'm like, what if some drunk idiot's coming down the stairs and trips and just yeah. tumbles over that thing? Dude, we went to a Titans game here in Nashville at LP Field, mm -hmm. and we had shitty seats far away up in the thing. Yeah. Walking up to our seats was giving me vertigo. Oh, dude, some it, of those are so steep. It was so steep and so high that I was like getting sick. Yeah. So let alone being drunk up there. You would think that more people will get hurt. Yeah, I'm surprised like, more people haven't died. Yeah. Now, this is uh, interesting because this is pertinent and personal to me. July 7th. Can I read this fact? Yeah. Because, it because you know, you'll see why. Yeah. July 7th, Clint Wells 
his, he attends his first Metallica show at the Georgia Dome. He is 17 years old. That's right. And unfortunately, James threw his back out water skiing. So, okay, so let me try to contextualize this. <laughs> I love this. Now, this is at the height of my Metallica fandom. Yeah. Until until the podcast, probably. Sure. I lived and breathed Metallica, as I know most of our listeners have uh, for many much of their lives, and maybe at this exact same time. They were easily my favorite band. And this is my first time seeing them live. I'm 17. I'm a senior in high school. I'm playing in bands. I'm starting to write my first little horrible songies. Mm-hmm. I'm probably listening to Reload about eight times a day. And this was my time to see Metallica. Getting it's the ticket wasn't here. easy. Getting to Atlanta wasn't easy. Uh, we, we scrimped and saved and barely made it. We get to the Georgia Dome. And at the time, my little crew and I were very snobby. Mm-hmm. We did not like any of these other bands. Sure. Yeah. We didn't like, you know, like I liked that Kid Rock record, but he'd gotten so big that he wasn't cool. Right. So even though I liked Devil Without a Cause, I wasn't about any Kid this Rock. Is, well, you're going there to see Metallica. And I, and I, you know, I'm mildly ashamed to admit this, but I actually really vehemently disliked Korn. Yeah. Um, I, I just did not like them at all. I never all. really got into them. Now I can just sort of say with more maturity and confidence, they're just not my cup of tea. There's a couple, like, I think Got the Life is a cool song. I love song, Got the Life. You know, stuff like that, but a lot of that stuff I can't. And that's actually the song that was really popular during this tour. Yeah. So I, so anyway, it's not a traditional gig in in sense of like, oh, there's an opener, and you just have to sit through whoever the opener is. Right. We sat through Power Man 5000, System of a Down, Corn, and then Kid Rock. And four opening bands. It, it felt like an eternity. Yeah. But all we kept, we were just wringing our hands like, Mighty Metallica is going to be playing Creeping Death here soon. Yeah. So we wait and wait and wait. We've sat through that whole fucking day, and the band was supposed to go on at whatever time. The show started at like 2 p.m. It's like 9 o'clock. Yeah. And uh, they don't come on, and they don't come on, and they don't come on. Nothing's happening, no announcements, just they're not coming on. House music's on. Yeah. Suddenly, lights come on the stage, no XC of gold. Kirk and Lars and Jason walk out. Kirk is wearing a cowboy hat. And I remember looking at my friends and being like, "This isn't good. This is this is not good news." They were also looking. They hat. were also looking pretty somber. Yeah, and Kirk's cowboy hat. I wasn't digging his fucking cowboy vibe. <laughs> You're like, listen, uh, don't howdy me right now. <laughs> don't hubba hubba howdy me, Kirk Hammond. <laughs> they they proceed to tell us that James Hetfield has hurt his back in a water skiing accident. He's not going to be able to make it. We're in a packed Georgia Dome. I mean, he was probably there at one point, or maybe like went to the hospital. We got checked up, but he was maybe he was there on his bus. Because if they waited that long, you know, maybe he was there to see if, like, maybe I could do it. Let's I just think, see. I'll take some painkillers. and I think they were waiting because people were learning the songs. Oh, yeah. That's true. Because if, that you, too. Uh, if you go to their website for this show, every Metallica <laughs> show, if you go to that show on their website, you can see pictures of the show. Yeah. The show itself, the meet and greets, the backstage. It's great. In all, all many of these backstage pictures, it's, it's like various members of Korn, Kid Rock, c- c- fucking crunch time. Oh, yeah. Because what would go on to happen, which we will now describe for you all, is they so they basically said, "Hey, we're going to honor the ticket. We're going to come back and make this up." Mm-hmm. But since we're all here, we're going to have some fun. We're, our friends are going to come on stage. They turned it into kind of a cool thing. Now, yeah. I did not think it was cool at the time. <laughs> right. I was extremely disappointed, sure, and upset, and I did not like any of these. But bands. looking back, can you appreciate it now? Going Big time. absolutely, like understanding, especially too, how the music industry works and how makeup dates work. It's like, look, they're going to come back. I still get to go see them. This ticket is still good for a future Metallica show. I, I was just worried that I wouldn't be able to get to Atlanta yeah. on whatever the day was. Like, sure. I was just worried about logistics. And, dude, that it's not like we stayed in Atlanta. That night, we had to drive back to Birmingham. Yeah. So, it's like, I've been here all fucking day. And not only is my favorite guy <laughs> not here, 
um, I have to watch members of bands I hate pretend to be in Metallica. Right. That's how it felt. Sure. Of course, now I'm like, these guys were so dope to to rise to the occasion and yeah. make this show happen. Now, so I'm going to describe what happened for each song. Okay. What was really cool is that for the first three songs, it was just Jason Newstead singing lead. That's awesome. Creeping Death is what they opened with. Newstead on Vox, Kenny Olsen from Kid Rock on guitar. They did Bells, same deal. Seek and Destroy, same deal. Additional vocals by Joe C. So at this point, I was kind of thinking like, because Jason was my homeboy. Right. So well, I, I have Jason sing And, and he set. sounds great. So mm-hmm. I thought, oh, they're just going to do maybe a shorter truncated set with Jason Newstead on lead vocals? Yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. I'll, yeah, I'm in. And it just played into his whole deal. Like, he's the he. Jason Newstead is like the hero of Metallica. Sure. You know, at this time, fan, fan favorite, all that stuff. Well, then it starts to get a little shitty for me, okay? Corn comes out and Metallica leaves and Corn plays a Corn song. So I'm like, I already fucking watched Corn. They played a Corn song. They played Earache My Eye without Head. Then they did a song called Counting. No Metallica. That's weird. Then. Metallica comes out and does Sabbath True with Kid Rock. And by the way, a really big song at this time was American Badass. Which she sampled. Which I absolutely hated. Yeah, I didn't like it. I hated that it was Sabbath True. I hated that it was Kid Rock. I hated that it was a sample ripoff. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that's actually why I hated him at that time. I liked Devil Without a Cause, but I like, hated American... Not touch that song. I, I did. I felt like it was kind of sacred and kind of blasphemous. Yeah. And getting, having Lars's blessing for it kind of pissed me off at Lars, too. Yeah. So they do Sabbath True, Kid Rock and Vocals. I'm standing there with my arms folded, probably with my middle finger in the air. That's how unhappy I am. <laughs> did, now, did he sing Sabbath True, or did he do his American Badass stuff They did Sabbath True, him singing. Then after that, they did American Badass. With the band playing still? Yeah. Wow. They didn't like blend the two. They did two the separate f- songs. So I'm just sitting there beside myself. I'm just... I'm really, really unhappy. Oh. <laughs> Nothing Else Matters with Kid Rock on vocals, Kenny Olsen and Head on guitar. Then Metallica leaves... And Kid Rock does Fortunate Son. But Credence. I, I'm, I'm so mad. <laughs> they do Fuel, new set on vocals, Kid Rock on Turntable. Give me Fuel, give me... Yeah, Scratchy McScratcherson on Fuel. Turn the page, Kid Rock on vocals, Kenny Olsen and Jason Krause on guitar. They did Master Terrium, Newstead, and Darren Malakian on vocals. But this is when they pulled a fan up to sing Master of Puppets, and the guy and Jason Newstead was like, you better fucking know it. Right. And the guy did it. No, and they just, they, you know what they did? They literally just threw his ass back into the crowd. Awesome. It they, was pretty cool. Rightfully so. You don't tell Jason Newstead, yes, I know how to sing it, and get on stage and be like, psych. Then they played Sandman with uh, Newstead on vocals, and basically everyone else, it was a free-for-all. Everyone came on stage and right. jammed. I mean, that's, I mean, uh, 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 17-year-old Clint was bummed. Yeah. But, I mean, it's pretty rad. They didn't have to do anything. No. They could said, hey, your ticket's good for the next Metallica show. We're going to come back and make this up. Have a good night. See you later. In hindsight, it is super <clears throat> cool that they were like, you know what? Let's try to figure out a way to give these guys something, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And and honestly, so this whole show is on YouTube. Yeah. So I've been kind of dipping into it. But it's a little too weird to watch for me because I know that my 17-year-old self is in this video. Right. So it's a little weird for me. Uh, but you try like, to find yourself in there, but no, I mean Georgia Dome, it was sold out. It's, it's packed, huge, so yeah. there's just no fucking. That's way. like what two thousand people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> add about add about add a couple hundred of that, and maybe you'll get closer. Okay, got it. Uh, but you know, for these guys to be playing the rhythm parts to Creeping Death, and, yeah, you know, the, these guys worked hard. Yeah, for sure. You know, I imagine they would had had some notice. I mean, if it was earlier in the day that James was, do you remember what was it that day that it happened? Yeah, it, it happened day? that day. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if they got word like the second he went to the hospital, like, hey, here's kind of the idea. Everyone start learning some songs. We can use the tuning room to rehearse and jam and stuff. And after you're done with your set on stage, come back here. Right. 
Well, July 11th, Lars appears before the U.S. Senate to testify on behalf of Metallica regarding Napster. I'm, I'm sure we've all seen clips of that. Yes, definitely. Uh, the, the Kurt Loder uh, MTV News yeah. comes to mind. <laughs> exactly. Uh, July 12th through August 9th, James gets back, and they finish the Summer Sanitarium Tour, including the makeup dates, which I was able to go see. You were good. So we'll talk about that, too. Uh, July 7th, Lars and Kirk play American Badass with Kid Rock on The Tonight Show. I, begrudgingly, I remember that. I begrudgingly watched it. Because the thing is, I was so in that anything they did, I, I'm in. Yeah. Even when I was disagreeing with them at the sure. time. You know? Um, I tried to find a clip of that, but the, uh, NBC kind of keeps their shit locked down yeah, pretty sucks. tight. Um, what else we got here? August 5th, Clint sees... I'll let you read this Sorry, one. August 5th, my good friend Clint Wells sees his second Metallica show, build us a makeup show featuring James Hetfield. Right. That's how they build it. Makeup show featuring James yeah. Hetfield. Yeah. That's good. And this was at Lakewood Amphitheater. Not in... Uh, Oh, in in, um, in Atlanta. In Atlanta, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, there, it's yeah. no longer called that. Um, I think it's called the Hi-Fi Buys Amphitheater now. Okay. But uh, so that was my first time there. I would go on to play. I've played Lakewood Amphitheater. Yeah, um, but this was when I was 17, and we went back. The same crew, my same dudes, we were awesome. all able to go. and uh, Different openers, I assume? No opener. No opener? Just them? Just Metallica. Hell yeah. Yeah, no opener. So That's there was, awesome. There was none of that shenanigans, and they yeah. played a, a long, cool set, and this is when they were playing No Leaf Clover on the reg, Turn yeah. the Page. Uh, the first encore was Die My Darling. It, Hell yeah. It was really good, dude. It was it was everything that we wanted it to be. That because, almost made the cancellation, or James's cancellation, worse. Yeah, it. dude. It, it, the, the thing about the cancellation is just it, it wasn't our hometown. It was such a long day. Sure. And we didn't know if we could make it. By the time that we're in our seats for the makeup gig, we're like, dude, we got we basically got two unique Metallica yeah, shows. Yeah, you absolutely did. The That's funniest amazing. thing about that gig, though, is speaking of the power of how the music brings people together, during Inner Sandman, during one of the take, take my mm-hmm. hand, my friend Aaron, who was sitting next to me, got so caught up in the moment that he clasped hands with the stranger next to him <laughs> and they finished out the rest of the song staring into each other's that's the, eyes. That's the power of Metallica, <laughs> the beauty of it. It took me out of the moment because I was laughing so hard. Right. Just hand in hand. Because they weren't laughing. It was like... Oh, it was for real. It was like a life or death. Yeah. You, don't let go. It was a lot of passion. <laughs> don't let go. We're going to Never Neverland. It was right like, now. who's going to be the first to let go? Who's going to be the first to break eye contact? And yeah. it was intense. So they were like looking at each other singing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, face to face. Nose to nose, dude. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, August 20th, Metallica is nominated for Best International Video for Much Music Awards for I Disappear. On the 23rd, I Disappear is nominated for five categories at the MTV Video Music Awards Best Rock Video, Best Video from a Film, Best Special Effects. Best editing and best cinematography. I thought they also got nominated for uh, best video on a Mesa. Yeah, a lot of Mesa videos that year. Best video Tom Cruise climbs to. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that they have to tie it into the movie. I, I guess because it's a soundtrack. Yeah. Cut, but just the weird shots of him climbing the Mesa. I wonder if that was Tom Cruise being pushy because you know he always brags about it, doing his own stunts. I can't remember if. They're just scenes from the movie, or if he, they, I don't, I don't, I can't remember. It might have been. He gets filmed. Up, he gets on top of it at the end, and then he smiles, very pleased with himself. But is there ever? There's, I don't think there's ever a shot of them no. together, though. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. But some of those kind of videos where there was crossover, like the "You Could Be Mine" video mm-hmm. for Guns, where Schwarzenegger actually they, they was in shot it. scenes. Yeah, they shot scenes for that. Yeah, even outside the uh, outside the whiskey or Ro- Roxy whiskey. Yeah, that was I, I love that kind of stuff back yeah. then. It was awesome. 
That's when there were just the budgets for that. They're like, hey, oh God, what yeah. would it cost to, you know, we can get Arnold for the afternoon? Yeah, you dress up like a Terminator and yeah. do the shot. Because he'd get, do full makeup and shit. Well, we don't have to pay Izzy because he's not here, so. <laughs> right. Okay, uh, moving right along here. In late September, Metallica spends a few days recording the classic albums documentary on the making of the Black Album. You've seen these classic I albums. I love these. Love them. They're a favorite of mine, too. And, you know, I mean, they've Paul Simon Graceland, and, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I can name a, a million of them. Never, That's the one never that kind mind of comes to mind. Never mind. And, and um, what I find so interesting about this is there's an interview, a deep dive interview with Jason, where mm-hmm. he basically talks about when he knew he was quitting Metallica, was when they were all together filming that shit. And that's when things came to a head about Echo Brain. Yeah. I have a clip of this right now. So we went to do uh, making of. The Black Album yeah, yeah. for that classic album. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say night. It was on uh, September 27th. You know what day that is? Mm-hmm. The Day of Cliff. So on September 27th in uh, 2000, we went to L.A. together to the place that we made the Black Album. One-on-one studios. To talk about the Black yep. Album. And I had uh, copies of the Echo Brain thing I was passing around. Bob Rock is there, Andy Staub's there, and the guys, let me have one, let me have one. Oh, dude, that's great. Oh, I heard something. It's really fantastic. And James is in the room. Not <laughs> liking it. Mm-hmm. And we went about our business. We did our first thing. They, we set up for this thing. Go, you guys are going to play that song. We're going to film that. Okay, we go and play. Now we're going to do that. And James Lowry's going to talk over there. And we're going to film that. Take a break. As they go around, you know, the TV. You know the TV. Yeah. So uh, he pulls me aside. And he says, what's, what's your plan with this music? What are you plan on doing? I said, I... We got to get a record together. I plan on taking it out to people and do a few shows that, as long as it doesn't uh, get in the way of Metallica stuff. So you plan on telling, selling T-shirts and everything? I'm like, yeah, probably. Well, I'm not sure I'm good with this. I'm going on to say I'm not sure exactly what they were just saying because my head started spinning and whirling and really <laughs> feeling like a little kid being reprimanded after all the things we went through. And he's younger than <laughs> me. And uh, that in itself is just kind of, you know yeah. what I mean? He said, other arrangements can be made. He looks me in the eye. That's the answer to your question. I've never told the world yeah. that before, ever. Yeah. So we better be very careful with this. No. Nope. But the, uh, that's the deal. Other arrangements can be made. That was the moment. On Cliff's Day. Wow. Okay? Wow. Both... Bass players left the same day. That's a, yeah, that's a head. That's a head. I don't think I realized that. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? It's crazy. So he quit that day. Well, he says that's the day that he knew that he would be leaving. Yeah, I don't think it, it, he, he didn't quit until 2001. Jane, he didn't but that's quit. true. Yeah, yeah. But he 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 decided that day I'm I'm done. Well, I think that's when he realized there's no future for me here now with what I want to do and what well, that James right. wants me to do, because he Jason needed to go. Fucking spread his creative wings, and that's what he needed to do. James needed him to not do that. So I think that's when Jason kind of finally realized what's crazy about it. And the reason we're bringing it up now is because it happened in this year we're talking about. And Mm -hmm. if you go watch that classic albums, knowing that this is sort of happening behind the scenes, it takes on a new thing. You know, I'm gonna watch that tonight. 
Um, so that's sad. And and yeah, the, the, the coincidence with it being on the day that Cliff passed away in yeah. in eighty six is is nuts. Right. You know? Robert better rue the September twenty seventh, man. See, you better I mean, look they're, out. They're obviously way more cash these days about little sure. side things. And I mean I mean Robert just was uh went off often did a uh, festival with infectious grooves. Right. Well, and James would go on to say pretty soon after rehab the first time around that he handled that really sure. He, he was his desire to control push Jason away and right. all that stuff. Um, October twenty seventh, Metallica wins the Artist Direct Online Music Award for favorite Turn It Up Loud CD for S and M. They won Most Talked About Artist. Lars won Internet Hero. Internet Hero. <laughs> they won Favorite Group and Best Fan Website. I love the Loud CD. I know it's such a product of the time. Right? It really is, yeah. Not record or this album. This is a loud CD. You get an award for it. You guys won one of the most coveted CD awards <laughs> that we offer here in the year two thousand. In the year two thousand, November fifth, Kirk Hammett. T- this is weird. Kirk Hammett takes part in a protest march in San Francisco about the high rental costs of rehearsal studios. So this is a this is. A, 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 I'm not speaking specifically of this march or whatever, but this was a big deal with a lot of Bay Area bands that I, I knew. I didn't know this. Well, San Francisco, it's always been a, a pricier city, but Absolutely. in the early 2000s, it got crazy, and this is when a lot of people in the, in the city moved out to Oakland mm. and Berkeley and stuff like that. Um, a ton of bands got pushed out because rising rental costs and all that stuff. And so, I mean, I had friends that were in these punk rock bands that had rehearsal spaces in San Francisco, and they eventually slowly moved out you know, inland or, you know, East Bay area and stuff. It's really cool that someone like Kirk Hammett, who obviously in the band Metallica is not in a position to care about rehearsal costs. Mm -hmm, Right. But being a Bay area guy himself coming up in Exodus, Mm -hmm. remembering what that was like to advocate for those people. Absolutely. This is a band that, this is a band that advocates for the small guy. Mm -hmm. And that is fucking cool, dude. I mean, they still continually do that. They've right. done it forever. I love it. And, and then the same reason what Lars was doing for Napster. Right, exactly. I mean, he was fighting for the little guy. Right. He's just a little guy. He's a little guy. November 17th, James sings on stage with the Misfits in San Francisco. November 30th, Metallica wins the VH1 My Music Award. They win Best Stage Spectacle and Gods of Thunder. They perform Fade to Black. This is Newstead's last performance. I this remember watching fan, it. Yeah, fan voted. Uh, they had a couple songs to choose from. And this was like the final one. Oh, this makes me sad. You can see it in his face. Oh, yeah. Because he, he knew. He knew he was out. Yeah. Kurt doesn't know. <laughs> He's just smiling. None of them know. Yeah. I remember exactly where I was in my grandmother's house I'm not watching this James is pretty fond of that explorer at this time. Yeah. I love those those hoodies that are like yeah. almost sleeveless. It's like a t-shirt length yeah. sleeve. But still, James looks kind of cool in it. Lars wearing sunglasses at night. Corey Hart. All right. Well, and then the last thing that would happen 
and this is uh, on a on a sillier note. Lars participated in a celebrity tennis match, partnering with John McEnroe against Jim Courier and Mike Mills, the bass player of REM. After the match, they all played a set of classic rock covers at Antone's in Austin, which I played a bunch with Bob. That's crazy. Uh, they did uh, Pseudo Alabama. They did Johnny Be Good. This is with John McEnroe on lead vocals and guitar. Amazing. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I would love if John McEnroe was playing air guitar on a tennis racket. <laughs> so anyway, that's the year 2000. That was the year 2000. Interesting year, man. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff happened. I mean, it's crazy with them having this obviously a busy tour schedule you know having to reschedule that georgia date all mm -hmm. that stuff and in the midst of all that there's this looming napster thing that yeah. would continue to go on past the year 2000 yeah absolutely um i mean i can't imagine just like lars's headspace during during all that being kind of the front runner of you know the main spokesperson for people that disagreed with it and were trying to fight it right you know he was probably taking all of his spare time on the road and his researching stuff yeah and he was taking the hits too i mean he was t definitely becoming you know one of the most hated dudes in in oh yeah popular music absolutely and it's a shame that it was out of a lot of misunderstandings too yeah like i mean people still bring it up yeah and I, I mean i find that it's a lot of people that don't really know that much about metallica you know, it's like, oh, you do Metallica podcast? Oh, you guys talk about Lars and Napster? It's right. like, okay, shut the fuck up. We you do, don't. actually. We do, but you don't probably even realize how it went down. Uh, we talk about your butthole. Yeah, we talk, yeah. and guess guess who's not going to hubba hubba? <laughs> that guy. All right, well, that was fun, dude. It's good It's good to have you here in HQ, yeah. too. I had a good time with you last night at Trivia. Yep. Here's the deal. Tentatively put down January 12th for the Metallica Metal Up Your Podcast three-year anniversary party. That's right. We're going to be there hanging out. We're going to give free drink coupons to our patrons. We're going to be doing trivia, Metallica playlists. We may even have some live music, yeah. maybe some karaoke. Uh, go leave the positive review on iTunes. We're going to be doing a deep dive into Napster next week. That's coming hopefully. up. Hopefully. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you out there. Yeah, enjoy your turkey or your tofurkey, whichever you prefer. Safe travels with your families. Uh, try not to eat and drink too much, although that's sort of a hallmark of that time. That's true. Are you going out of town? Yeah, we're leaving. We're going to be doing the whole, both families. Oh, so you're going to Alabama? We're going to Huntsville and Birmingham. Oh, wow. Okay. What are you doing? Staycation? Yeah, we're staying here. Well, we're going to some friend's house uh, up in uh, Hendersonville mm -hmm. for uh, on Thanksgiving, and then we're doing like a secondary one with like my mother-in-law and a couple of close friends on Friday. Cool. All the food. Mm. It's going to be a good, good week. Well, happy Thanksgiving to all of you out there. We love all of you in Metal Up Your Podcast land, and uh, we're grateful for all your support. Go check out the Patreon. Go check out the iTunes. And uh, with that, we'll just see you on the flip-flop. Say peace. Adios. Right, so what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>